and welcome to the Vascular Forum interviews. My name is Susanne Stokmans. I'm a fifth-year vascular surgery resident and I work in the Medispectrum Twente Hospital in Enschede, the Netherlands. I'm one of the new voices of the ESVS podcast and I'm very excited to join the team from now onwards. In today's episode, we are going to speak with Professor Bob Geelkerke and Floor Metz. Bob Geelkerke is a vascular surgeon at the Medispectrum Twente since 1995 and since 2016 he is professor at the TechMed Center at Twente University. He obtained his PhD degree at Leiden University in 1996 on mesenteric ischemia and he is the founder of the Dutch Expert Center of Mesenteric Ischemia. He is also one of the initiators of the Dutch Mesenteric Ischemia Study Group, a cooperation of nearly 20 Dutch hospitals with special interest in this challenging disease. Moreover, he is the principal investigator of the celiac artery release or sham operation study, or CAROSO, a study that will settle whether the median arcuate ligament syndrome exists. Floor Metz is a surgical resident and a PhD candidate on the subject of mesenteric ischemia, and she is one of the investigators on the Caroso study. Today we will speak about mesenteric ischemia, the 2017 ESVS guidelines on management of the disease of mesenteric arteries and veins. Thank you, Floor and Bob, for making the time to join us here today. Suzanne, uh, very kind uh, to invite us uh, for your first podcast also our first one for the SVS, and especially about this really challenging uh, subject. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. We're very honored. Thanks. Uh, and uh, I want to address that we agree to uh, to address each other on a first name basis. So that's uh, what we'll do from now onwards. Uh, Bob, can you tell us a little bit more about your career? Where did you do your training and why did you establish practice in Enschede? Yeah, of course, Suzanne. Uh, I obtained a medical degree in uh, 1985 at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam. And shortly after, I had the privilege to uh, uh, start my training, my surgical training uh, and vascular training in Leiden region under the supervision of many very dedicated and especially educational-minded surgeons. And I was, and I'm quite, I'm still a little bit stubborn. That means that my tutors have had something to do with me. And I think my colleagues today, uh, mm-hmm. the same. Um, I'm grateful to them, and I could apply their wise lessons up to uh, up till today. Um, so, during this podcast, I will share some of them wise lessons. Um, and don't think they're for me; they are for my uh, for my career. I learned during my career from my supervisors. All right, we will be very excited to hear about that. And uh, how did you get interested in mesenteric ischemia? Yeah, that's a long short story, but I will uh, summarize it that uh, during one of my first uh, on-calls uh, as a young resident in Leiden, a young woman was admitted to the hospital uh, with end-stage angina abdominal. That means uh, nearby complete small and intestinal large bowel infarction, and she died. And that was very, very, really very impressive for me. Um, and after weeks, a few weeks later, I was again on call, um, uh, a young woman was hospitalized with fake abdominal discomfort, increased after oral intake. And also in dead days, when you are on call, you was a week on call. That's not eight hours a day, and then you go uh, home. So I, I, I observed the patient, and was very, very worried about it. And um, I asked my supervisors, the older resident, who was also in the hospital, but also the, the, the vascular fellow, uh, uh, to, to also to observe the patient, to, to visit the patient observe, and they both uh, uh, advised me to closely observe the patient. which did not resolve my problem, my, my worries. Mm-hmm. An hour later, I met in the corridors of the hospital uh, the chief of the department, the professor of vascular surgery, 
And I must have something like a phone on my head or something like that on my face. Because uh, he asked Bob, something to worry. And normally, youngest student, youngest resident, the, the, the chief himself, now hardly didn't say anything to each other mm-hmm. in that days. It's really changed nowadays. And that's better nowadays. But to end a long story, he goes with me to the patient. And after a short conversation, he decided to perform a laparotomy. It is not important. And the message is not if this patient had or did not had acute mystic ischemia. She had acute mystic ischemia. He performed embolectomy of the superior mystic artery and she survived. But I, after the operation, a day later, asked ask him, Professor, why did you decide to perform a laparotomy? And his answer is still valid today. And it's also one of the uh, big uh, expert consensus recommendations in the guideline. I was not sure, he said. But if you think about acute mystic ischemia, you should act and not observe. And again, this is one of the many lessons I received during my training, still valid today. And the beauty, but also the challenge of the topic today is there is hardly only expert opinion. There is no level one evidence. And also the recommendation based on randomized clinical trials are scarce, to be honest, they are not available. There is not any at this moment published randomized control trial in this area. There is one coming very soon. That's the covered stent versus bare stenting uh, in chronic mystic ischemia. Uh, It will be published very very shortly. I can't give you the Mm -hmm. uh, answer, but um, it's as we expected. Okay. Um, And uh, uh, nevertheless, Madam Bjork formulated formulated in the European Society of Vascular Surgery guideline in 2017, uh, 16 recommendations of its 26 class one. That means you should act on this way. And three in class three, which means you don't act. You don't do that. One of the class three is that lactate is too late. Mm-hmm. That means didn't rely on biomarkers. Biomarkers are, have no any uh, use in the in acute mystic ischemia. And it's area. good that you underline this because it's still, uh, if I call someone and, and they also ask, they, a lot of people think that lactate is very important and it's yeah. always asked by anesthesiologists and, and such other doctors. I, I completely agree with that. When you, when you, you, you are arrested in my hospital, yeah. when you uh, phone me in the middle of the, the night, I always think, Why now and why me? Because I I really like to sleep. Uh, But if you don't want to do anything, you always can ask the question lactate. You can ask the uh, question, what is the creatinine? Um, That's only reasons that you don't have to do anything, but you have to act. That is the first lesson I learned from my professor. You have to do something. Um, So the the present guideline of of the European society is revised at this moment, uh, chaired by Mark Koulemai, and the publication of the updated guidelines is expected in 2024. Uh, and another valuable multidisciplinary guideline is from uh, Luc Terlau, uh, published in the United European Gastroenterology in 2020. And he uh, formulated 33 recommendations based on the grade system. And the third guideline in this domain is from Hubert, from the, uh, published in the Journal of Vascular Surgery, so the uh, United States guidelines, uh, published in 2021. And he formulated 27 recommendations in the area of chronic mystic ischemia uh, and then especially for atherosclerotic disease. So uh, Martin Björk, the whole uh, area, chronic, acute, uh, vasculitis and rhythmal disease in the mystic arteries and mystic veins. Mm-hmm. that allow chronic mystic ischemia and Hubert 
Atos Korotek, Koronek Mysteries Crimea. If you read these recommendations, you are completely up to date patients. All right. um, I will make sure I put links in the show notes so everyone can read these uh, recommendations. And what is nice is I want to underline that Mar- Martin Björk wrote an editorial um, about the difference between the SVS and the uh, AS guidelines. Uh, there are small differences, and that is culture. Well, I'm curious to read that as well. Um, and, and now I want to talk a little bit more in detail about the mesenteric ischemia. Floor, you recently started your PhD investigation, uh, and it is about uh, mesenteric ischemia. You also already published your first systematic review on median arcuate ligament syndrome in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery. So congratulations on your publications. Um, and there's um, different types of mesenteric ischemia, and I want to know... Um, a little bit more about it. Can you first tell us a little bit about acute mesenteric ischemia? Well, um, thank you. Uh, first of all, the top of the villus of the bowel is always ischemic. So bowel ischemia is a physiological phenomenon, mostly without any symptoms. In case of acute mesenteric ischemia, patients present with acute abdominal pain caused by occlusion of one, two or three mesenteric vessels. This may be caused by an embolic occlusion, causing abdominal pain developing within minutes to hours, or a thrombotic occlusion. Floor, which kind of patient develop an embolism and, and get acute mesenteric ischemia? Well, in case of an embolism, the abdominal pain mostly developed within minutes, uh, and this classically happens with patients with cardiac arrhythmia or other embolic diseases. Another cause of acute mesenteric ischemia may be thrombosis, of one of the mesenteric artery. And this classically happens with patients that in retrospect already had uh, an untreated history of chronic mesenteric ischemia uh, and they develop a thrombosis of an already atherosclerotic mesenteric artery. So patient history is of uttermost important in these cases. Yes, definitely. In our uh, experience, patients admitted to our hospital with acute mesenteric ischemia, I think three quarters of them have acute ongoing. That mm-hmm. means if you really listen to your patient, that's the key for this patient. They had already since a year or at least a half year symptoms fitting to gornic mesenteric ischemia. That's very important to realize. Yeah. And the mortality of acute, acute mesenteric ischemia is very high, right? Yes. It's still around 80 to 90% in recent studies. So that's really high. So it's, it's important to recognize it as a physician, that we know how to recognize it. Yes, acute mesenteric ischemia may progress into life-threatening bowel necrosis within hours to days. So you should act really fast. Yeah, 18 to 90% uh, seems very high. There's a recent publication from Finland that's also outside the hospital. Mm-hmm. Not inside hospitals, but outside hospital. And of course, if you are 85, 90 degrees at the end of your life... You have to die of something. Yes. And a part of these patients died because of ongoing gornic, acute and gornic or acute mesenteric ischemia. They are also part of these 80 to 90%. But to the hospital, most of the mortality is between 50 and, and, and 60%. But in dedicated hospitals, not only our own hospital, but also in other expert center, it's between the 20 and 25%. All right. What is the diagnostic tool we should use to diagnose acute mesenteric ischemia? If you think about acute mesenteric ischemia, you should perform an emergency contrast-enhanced 
multiphase CT scan with one millimeter slices in the arterial phase. Um, and this is a very sensitive investigation to find mesenteric ischemia. Biomarkers are not reliable to diagnose mesenteric ischemia. Right. Uh, I want to add one thing to that. Mm -hmm. well, it's really very sensitive and specific, the uh, contrast enhanced CT scan, if it's assessed by an experienced physician in this domain. Mm -hmm. That's also very important. And the literature uh, reported very high accuracy, but always including, it is not written down uh, in, the, in the manuscript, but also they are, they are obser they're observed by experienced physicians. That's important. So it's patient history and a contrast-enhanced one-millimeter CT scan. Yeah. So in which you, you should look at the mesenteric exactly. arteries and really ask, is this mesenteric ischemia to your trained physician? Yeah. During my training, it was you think about that you have to do something that's still very valid. Yeah. But then we do a laparotomy. Now we do also in the middle of the night. Doesn't matter what the renal function is. Doesn't matter all the other things, there's only one thing to do, emergency contrast-enhanced CT with one, one millimeter arterial slices and assess the CT scan by an experienced physician. Right, that's a very clear message. And if we see this on a CT scan, what is the next step we should do? You should perform revascularization as soon as possible. And of course, endovascular revascularization is first choice treatment. But if impossible, you can also perform open revascularization. Okay. In the European uh, guideline, uh, Martin Burke performed a very nice overview of the literature about early endovascular revascularization uh, compared to open. Mm -hmm. um, starting with endovascular revascularization means at the end, less mortality and more survival of the bowel. Level evidence is relatively low, but if there is evidence, this is the message, endovascular acute revascularization. Compare it with the heart. If you have coronary artery disease and acute infarction, you did not start with resection of your left ventricle. No. You start with a PCI. And thereafter, at the end, maybe resection of your myocardial is necessary. That's the same experience in our hospital. Pneumatosis is not the same as dead bowel. No. It can completely resolve. But it is, well, it, it is indeed end-stage acute mistake ischemia. I agree with that. Yeah, so like cardiac surgeons say, time is muscle, it's time is bowel, we can say. And um, after the endovascular revascularization, do you often perform a laparotomy to resect the necrotic bowel? How do you continue the care for these kinds of patients after the revascularization? Well, afterwards, you should uh, observe the patient very good because they, of course, may have ongoing bowel necrosis, which may be life-threatening. If you think that's the case, you may perform a laparotomy to assess the bowel viability. But you could also wait a couple of hours to de or days before you assess the bowel because you may uh, have improved bowel viability after a day uh, because of your revascularization. What is typical, especially in end-stage acute ongoing mystic ischemia, is that the bowel is something like a closed loop. Mm -hmm. That means... Uh, everything in, in, in the bowel is, uh, is, is, is very, very demic, but uh, there is no systemic reaction at that moment. If you revascularize this patient, at that moment, there, the portal flow is uh, restored and the liver, uh, there's acute liver failure and also acute uh, systemic inflammatory response. So 
not only revascularization, but at the same time you start your resuscitation of the yeah. patient. That's important. And the reason that is the closed uh, system uh, before revascularization and the open system afterwards. And do this? Or do all these, these patients need intensive care units stay after the revascularization? The, the chief of the intensive care department is a partner of the team. And we, when we accept an acute mystic ischemia from another hospital, we, he also gets a phone call that he knows he's coming. And he is, or one of his residents, is in the uh, anger room to start resuscitation. And yeah. nearby always these patients go to the IC unit for 24 hours, but maybe sometimes for six or eight or 12 weeks. Yeah, You can't predict that no. uh, for, uh, in front. And when you do decide to perform a laparotomy, uh, how do you decide which bowel needs resection and which bowel can you can leave in and, and wait and see? Well, it's still very hard to decide which bowel is already yeah, dead and which bowel may still recover. Um, if you're doubting about a part of bowel, you better leave it in and look one day later again to see how it's developing. Um, and well, we think, but we're still not sure about that, that maybe fluorescence may have a role in that as well in future to make that assessment during the operation because it's still very hard to decide which bowel is, uh, well, may survive and which mm -hmm. part of the bowel not. As I completely agree with, with Fleur, um, and that's something to it, that um, I have nearby 30 years experience with this disease. And still, my eye is not accurate to predict a bowel who is irreversible of reversible severe ischemic damage. Mm -hmm. um, of course, completely green and, and, and bad smell and uh, you obvious, know that's, yeah. that's it. And what especially is a problem if you have a relatively short part of the bowel, the severe ischemic, and you have more than two two and a half meters bowel, uh, really good available uh, still in 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 the abdomen. Um, you, my advice always to resect that ischemic part because at that moment your drive for your systemic inflammatory response is also uh, taken away. Uh, but if you have an, in most patients, it's from the unum uh, up to the colon. Mm -hmm. It's uh, partly ischemic, partly severe ischemic, partly relatively healthy. Uh, I don't know which part I should resect, yes or no. So I, after revascularization, I always try to, 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 to wait 12 to 24 hours before doing the laparotomy. Because immediately after revascularization, I really don't know what to do. Yeah. And to add it to that uh, remark about fluoroscopy, It's a very nice publication from, from Harry Fasen in uh, British Journal of Surgery from this year, uh, where there was a huge difference in the cohort of patients with ischemia and the per, per cohort of patients without ischemia. Such a huge difference, I never see that during my career. So I really now, nowadays I'm a believer about quantifying philosophy. It's not only yes or no, green or, or not green, mm -hmm. but see to the... Um, to, to the, um, the time to peak and other parameters who say something about the mucosal flow. Right. So that's a, also must be an interesting publication that I will link in the show notes. So the acute mesenteric ischemia, time is bowel, we should make a CT scan, we should revascularize, endovascular is the first choice. And afterwards, in a lot of cases, we do need to perform a laparotomy, but we should try to wait 12 to 24 hours to to get more clear which bowel we need to resect and which bowel can stay in. Is that correct? That's a wonderful summarizing of All right. the discussion. Good. 
And then one one small um, small question, because I know the answer, but can you use laparoscopy instead of lapar- laparotomy? Up to today, no, because what you missed is your haptic feedback. Mm-hmm. That means I between two fingers, the bowel wall is the bowel wall is thinning. If it's like a an, an wet uh, newspaper, then you know this is irreversible. You can't see that. No. Uh, that's first. The second part. Uh, you have to visualize the whole small and large bowel from both sides. And of course you can do that with laparoscopist. An, an experienced laparoscopist can do that. But this, this is not 24-7. Also in my hospital, not 24-7 available. Who really can do that very gentle. And so we do a small laparotomy and not the laparoscopy in the acute phase. But if your sense quantification is really the way to go, then you can do that with a laparoscopic. Yeah, so in the future we might do these kinds of procedures laparoscopically. All right. And then we, I think we, we, we talked enough about acute mesenteric ischemia. Let's talk a little bit more about chronic mesenteric ischemia. Can you tell us a little bit about the patients who will present with this illness? Yes, in chronic mesenteric ischemia, patients present with symptoms for at least three months. And these patients often have classical symptoms of postprandial abdominal pain, unexplained diarrhea or constipation, pain during exercising and food aversion and weight loss or a combination of these symptoms. And these symptoms combined with a significant stenosis or occlusion of at least two or three of the mesenteric arteries that's highly suggestive for chronic mesenteric ischemia. And chronic mesenteric ischemia is often caused by atherosclerosis. In case of multivessel chronic mesenteric ischemia, it is very likely that, well, multivessel occlusion of two or three of the mesenteric arteries is very likely to cause uh, symptoms of chronic mesenteric ischemia. In case of single vessel stenosis or occlusion of one of the mesenteric arteries. Well, you should also have a look at other pathology that may explain the abdominal pain. So other causes should be ruled out first. And median arcuate ligament syndrome, which we'll talk about later, of Mm -hmm. course, is the most common cause of single vessel chronic mesenteric ischemia. And the recommendation from the guidelines is that in patients with symptoms fitting chronic mesenteric ischemia, combined with significant stenosis of one, two or three of the mesenteric arteries, the patients should be discussed in a multidisciplinary working group consisting of at least a radiologist, vascular surgeon and a gastroenterologist to establish the diagnosis of chronic mesenteric ischemia. And after establishing this diagnosis with a consensus uh, in a multidisciplinary team, mm-hmm. revascularization should be performed uh, and a vascular or, uh, if not possible, open. Okay. So, Flo, what you just discussed is uh, reflected in, uh, in the recommendation of the guideline that in case of chronic abdominal symptoms fitting to chronic uh, mesenteric ischemia, the predicted value of the uh, symptoms are nearby 60%. This is low. Mm-hmm. But if you have one vessel disease, it is not chronic mesenteric ischemia unless if it's two vessel disease, it is chronic mesenteric ischemia unless... That's the difference. So one or two vessel disease is really another way of thinking. And sometimes you get a call from another physician from the internal department or from a radiologist who makes a CT scan for another cause and you get called, oh, we see a significant stenosis of the SMA in the, in the celiac trunk, for example. How should we act on those kinds of patients? So patients who, who don't necessarily need to have complaints. 
Well, these patients with one vessel stenosis or occlusion and no abdominal pain uh, or problems, well, you do not really have a reason to treat those patients. But in patients with two or three vessel stenosis or occlusion, you could think about treating those patients to prevent acute mesenteric ischemia. Okay. Yeah, adding to that, it's well, it, it is very important to note something about the celiac artery. Mm-hmm. If you have an ungoronic occlusion of the superior mesenteric artery, so you have a compression of your celiac artery, and that's you can only visualize compression, mostly of the compression in expiration, we'll discuss this later on, mm-hmm. you can miss a two vessel. Yeah. And we had, last year we experienced two relatively young uh, men and a woman uh, who has a combination of an chronic superior mesic artery stenosis who become an occlusion and in combination with a severe stenosis by expiration of the celiac artery. And both have severe bowel ischemia. Okay, so that's an important note. So we should, if we get a call from about these kinds of patients, we should look at them or at least talk to them. And all the CT scans are performed in inspiration. So you don't have information no. about celiac artery in expiration. Be aware of that. That's and an definitely the symptoms are very important. Uh, Floor, we talked about acute mesenteric ischemia. You told us about the acute embolic events that can be the cause of this or an, uh, or thrombotic event, which is more a chronic, acute on chronic um, mesenteric ischemia. And how about dissections? Do they occur in the, in the mesenteric arteries? Yes, definitely. Dissections occur as well in uh, the mesenteric arteries. And they are often presented with in acute mesenteric ischemia, uh, which may be caused by a dissection. And after that, an embolic occlusion of this uh, mesenteric artery. Yeah, there are nice reports from Asia because... The sections yeah. most often occurred in these areas more than in the in the Western Europe, um, and the the message is clear: don't do anything with the section uh, otherwise than conservative conservative treatment. But an acute occlusion of the SMA on a rare uh, area could be in the section. And what do you see on the CT scan? Are there specific signs? If it's occluded, you can't see the dissection. If it's partially occluded, you see the true or the false lumen. And then you really uh, recognize it relatively easily. And if uh, there is a uh, classification uh, from Asia, about, and the, the, you have to, to remember from that, if you have an entry and a re-entry, it's conservative. If you have an entry and not a re-entry with some still painful patients, then it is an ongoing dissection. That means pressurizing the false lumen still going on. And is the treatment of these dissections the same as the embolic, emboletic or the, the acute thrombotic patients? If the pain is the dissection and not ischemia, and not uh, bowel ischemia, uh, the, the, the first treatment choice is conservative, uh, lowering the blood pressure uh, and anticholinergic therapy. Again, that's only expert opinion. Um, if uh, there's an ongoing dissection, we uh, try to resolve it in the vascular with, an, with, with stenting. And then there's another form of mesenteric ischemia, and this is, call, this is called a non-occlusive mesenteric ischemia. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yes, in case of non-occlusive mesenteric ischemia, you have no vascular pathology. These are patients with a low-flow status, causing vasoconstriction of one of the, of the mesenteric arteries, therefore experiencing 
mesenteric ischemia. And this happens, for example, uh, this may happen in all patients with shock status or during uh, cardiac uh, surgery. It may happen as well. And what kind of complaints do these patients have or what kind of symptoms? Well, often it's very hard because these patients are often unconscious on the intensive care unit. Uh, but they may present with uh, unexplained diarrhea, with uh, hemodynamic problems. Systemic inflammatory response uh, signs, patients mm-hmm. uh, you, you are worried about. And um, so you have to exclude if these patients have stenosis of the celiac artery or the SMA, who are often missed during mm-hmm. acute CT scan. And if there, if there are a good inflow of these arteries, um, you have to treat these patients conservatively. Um, and the only thing you can do if it's really transmural ischemia is a resection. And this is the, in the left colon? Mostly uh, in the left colon, yes. Okay. Right-sided ischemic colitis is an SMA occlusion or stenosis, unless you really exclude that. All right. Okay, that's a very interesting note. Thank you. So we extensively talked about acute mesenteric ischemia. We talked about chronic mesenteric ischemia and about non-occlusive mesenteric ischemia. And then there's another um, explanation for ischemia, which is venous. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, Occlusion of the superior inferior uh, mesenteric veins or splenic or portal veins may also cause acute mesenteric ischemia. And how should this patient be treated? These patients mostly may be treated conservative, uh, but these should also be observed very well. Well, thank you so much. I think this is a very comprehensive review of the of the guideline, and this is this information must be very valuable for a lot of physicians who are listening to this podcast. So thank you so much. So now uh, I want to talk uh, about um, our hospital, uh, which is a tertiary referral center for mesenteric ischemia. Bob, since when did we um, did we receive this, this recognition? Yes, Susan, we received this honorable recognition from the government in 2016. Uh, the last year, the recognition was extended for another five years, and we are very proud about that, and, and the whole team is proud on that. Who participates in the expert group? Yeah, it's really a multidisciplinary uh, team. Um, we discussed a radiologist, a gastroenterologist, but also an uh, intensive, intensivist. The core of the team is the specialized nurse who coordinates all the outpatient works and also coordinates the clinical evaluations. She also coordinates our weekly meeting. and We discuss every week 15 patients suspected of chronic mysterious ischemia. So every week, 52 weeks per year. And in the out-of-the-office hours, the vascular surgeon uh, on call is the first point of contact for all specialists in the Netherlands who want to refer patients with acute of suspicion or of on acute mysterious ischemia, or also very important, one have an advice. Mm-hmm. What should we do in these circumstances? But everybody in the treatment chain in our hospital know what to do. So they know the tasks and they know how to care these patients. They start resuscitation and refresuscitation uh, simultaneously. So that go hand in hand. That's also one of the key messages, in my opinion, out of this podcast. Yeah. And you, you told us you, you talk about 15 patients a week, so it's about 500 patients a year. Is that correct? And how does that compare to the rest of the Netherlands? That's correct. We are between the 400 and 450 referrals per year. Um, in the corona uh, time, it was decreased with 30%. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> really uh, impressive. Um, 
and around one of the one out of three patients with mysterious ischemia is referred to our hospital. Uh, and a quarter of the patients in the Netherlands is referred to the second expert center in the Netherlands. That's the Erasmus Medical Center, the work op- working place for our former, for our formal uh, president of the society, Hans Verhagen, who is also co-founder of the Dutch Mystic Ischemia Study Group. Mm-hmm. And both centers work closely together and we shared experiences, we shared working appointments and we support our mutual research programs. So we are located in the east of the Netherlands. They are located completely in the west part of the Netherlands. Netherlands is not very, very no. large. So, uh, so we covered the whole, uh, the whole country with our expertise to advise our colleagues. Um, so there are two exper- expert centers in the Netherlands. Are there more exper- expert centers in the rest of Europe? Yes, of course. Um, uh, look to the writing and to the review committee of the, of the guidelines. You know, there are many patients who really are interested in this, uh, again, challenging uh, domain. Um, what's coming uh, up in my mind now, of course, is the group of Stefan Acosta in Malmo, and of course, of the group uh, in Uppsala from the emeritus professor uh, Martin Björk. And there's a very uh, dedicated French center, the French Intestinal Stroke Center, mm-hmm. uh, nearby Paris, represented by Olivier Korkos. Uh, but certainly, if I enumerate all the centers are always uh, forgot something and that's uh, and thereby deprive respected colleagues so there are and i think in nearby every country in, in in western europe there is one or two centers who really are dedicated in this domain is it possible for people also outside of the netherlands to reach your expert group and are you open for consults of surgeons from other countries of course one of the drives of an expert center that's in netherlands but also the 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 expert sensors I mentioned um, uh, in the previous question is to share experiences to help to improve the diagnosis treatment and outcome in this challenging disease. So you can mail our center, but you can also uh, mail the center of of Stephen Acosta of of, of other mm-hmm. or other uh, respected colleagues. Uh, most vascular surgeons in the Netherlands know my personal mobile phone number, so they can also always reach me. All right, well, that's good to know, and I will make sure to put a. A link in the show notes uh, with the contact details of your center. Uh, Floor and Bob, thank you so much for this um, uh, for this excellent review of acute and chronic mesenteric ischemia. This is a very comprehensive podcast for many physicians, or actually all physicians. Um, every physician experiences patients with mesenteric ischemia at least a few times a year, and it's very important to have knowledge on this topic. Um, and Bob, can you please summarize the most important take-home messages uh, from this podcast? Yes, Susan, uh, I would like to do that. Uh, for the acute mystic ischemia, the first thing is discrepancy between complaints, between symptoms and physical examination. You need a high industry suspicion. You need that you like to think about it. And if you think about it, don't think too long. Observation is never the solution. You have to do something. And nowadays, it's an emergency multi-phase contrast-enhanced CTA with one-millimeter arterial slices. Clear, 100% consensus about this in the guidelines. And if the diagnosis, acute ischemia, is confirmed, the next step is an emergency, also in the middle of the night, percutaneous, and the vascular 
and in the meantime, resuscitation uh, of the patients that saves bowels and that saves lives. So that are the main take-home messages for acute mystic ischemia and for the chronic mystic ischemia um, is that, that it's a difficult diagnosis. The, the symptoms are fake. And if you have all the four symptoms, that means postprandial pain, uh, weight loss, uh, loss of energy, and uh, change of, of stools, uh, if these all four same symptoms are, are um, uh, present, um, the predictive value is at max 60%. So again, a difficult diagnosis. But if you think about it, the next step is a multidisciplinary approach. One vessel, chronic mesothelioma, is not the case unless in two or more vessel, chronic mesothelioma is the cause of the symptoms unless. Um, and if there is an, uh, uh, an ischemia is proven, need really need a function test. We didn't discuss that uh, yet. Uh, there is one function test available on the market at this moment. That's the tonometry, but it's, uh, the balloons are not available uh, anymore. So every research group is really uh, focusing on developing a function test for chronic mystic ischemia. Um, and, as, and also, if it's possible, for acute mystic ischemia. And some work on biomarkers, some works uh, on uh, oxygen concentration in the mitochondria, and we work on, the, uh, on lactate uh, measurement in the portal vein with MR spectroscopy. Uh, we, we really need a function test. It's not available yet. So at this moment, Gronach is symptoms together with anatomy, a multidisciplinary discussion of the patient. All right, thank you for this excellent summary of uh, of everything that we have discussed up until now because we will come back with this same group of people uh, to talk more about median arcuate ligament syndrome which is a one vessel disease form of chronic mesenteric ischemia and this is going to be a very interesting discussion and we are going to talk about about this in the next episode does median arcuate ligament syndrome exist or not and we are going to talk extensively about a study that just opened in the medical spectrum of Twente Hospital. We will hope to see you back on this second episode on this very interesting topic. Thank you, Flora Bob, for joining us here today. And I am very excited to talk to you again. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. We will be back soon with the second episode and also with more ESVS podcast. Remember, you can listen to them open access in SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Vascular Forum webpage and the ESVS e-library. Please follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to the ESVS podcast so you don't miss any episode. Have a nice day. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>